the audible of the Bitcoin space. This is the Crypto Economy with Guy Swan. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Crypto Economy. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. Uh, we are going to start off this week's reads with a piece from Bitcoin Magazine. I've been sitting on for a little bit here, but I wanted to get to it just because I think the concept is really important um, to kind of distinguish. Uh, but the author is Mauricio Di Bartolomeo, and it's titled why proof of reserves is important to Bitcoin. So let's go ahead and jump into the article and then we'll have a little fun with Guy's take at the end. Bitcoin is a movement founded on individual monetary sovereignty, transparency, and peer-to-peer auditability enabled by a breakthrough in technology. It launched at a time when trust in the world's financial institutions was at an all-time low and struck a chord. Bitcoin's success has led to profits, which has in turn led to complacency. Today, people are once again placing their trust in new crypto institutions, some of which have done very little to earn that privilege. Over $4.4 billion was lost as a result of crypto exit scams and thefts in 2019 alone, and billions more are likely at risk right now. The technology to provide auditability and transparency for Bitcoin held in custody has been inherent to the protocol from its inception. However, the industry has been slow to incorporate these features for end customers. As once siloed companies bid to broaden their offerings, exchanges adding custody, lending, etc., complexity will increase and transparency on proof of reserves allowing customers to confirm that the service they are using does in fact hold their Bitcoin on-chain, will become even more important. The ability to offer proof of reserves will become a tool to earn and retain customer trust. Some Challenges in the Path to Proof of Reserves While the idea of proving that Bitcoin sent to a particular service or company is still held by such company might seem trivial to some, there are about as many ways to structure custody and interaction with customers as there are altcoins in the crypto universe. Some services, like cold storage vaulting, allow for relatively straightforward implementations, while others, like trading on exchanges, can be more complex. Beyond the technical challenges, it is important to highlight some of the business reasons. 1. Hot, warm, cold wallet security structure is prevalent in the industry. Many exchanges are structured in a hot, warm, cold wallet security framework. In this setup, the hot wallet manages a limited balance and is used for inbound and outbound transactions. The warm wallet is a whitelisted bridge between the cold and the hot, and the cold, as the safest, holds the majority of the assets. This setup allows for quick withdrawals, improving customer experience as well as operational efficiencies through transaction batching, and at the same time, be able to benefit from the safety of cold storage. Some services offer periodic audits of their cold, warm, and hot wallet balances. They have used increasingly clever ways for customers to verify that their balances were indeed included in the audit. This has to be done openly while at the same time maintaining customer privacy. 
Although the audit verification methods to date are still somewhat cumbersome for customers, given that they are not real-time, they are a step in the right direction. 2. Growing pressure on custodial services to monetize their assets under management by lending. Contrary to what some may think, there is an enormous supply of Bitcoin looking to be lent to earn a yield. In fact, the rates to lend and borrow Bitcoin are lower than those to lend and borrow cash and equivalents, USD, meaning that currently there is an oversupply of Bitcoin in the market in comparison to the demand for borrowing Bitcoin. While this phenomenon has been primarily led by the increasing popularity of Bitcoin interest accounts, competition is bringing new players into the space, looking to monetize Bitcoin that is in their custody. Presently, the market is becoming flush with digital assets looking for yield, and it shows no sign of stopping. As the allure of holding fractional reserves of assets increases, proof of reserves can act as a way for end customers to keep the platform's levels of fractional lending in check or verify whether their funds are there or not. Let's be proactive. Don't trust. Verify. Irrespective of the type of asset or industry, aggressive lending practices eventually leads to trouble. In order to prevent a credit bubble from occurring, transparency on funds is paramount. Let's try to build the right tools and educate the Bitcoin community on the importance of transparency before another Quadriga CX or Mt. Gox happens. And it can be profitable. In an industry with such low switching costs and a growing user base, Transparency can be the winning differentiator for people looking for a new service provider for their digital asset needs and a good reason to remain there. Bitcoin has given us the tools to build a new financial system that is transparent and open to the world. An opt-out of an existing system full of unknowns, as Satoshi described. Let's keep the ethos of Bitcoin alive as we build financial services for it. Let's not recreate the world we had to escape. Services that give customers the information they need to make good decisions will win in the long run. All right, so that was Why Proof of Reserves is Important to Bitcoin by Mauricio Di Bartolomeo. And that was again on Bitcoin Magazine. Now there's, uh, I really want to hit why Proof of Reserves is so important and what the differences are between our legacy system and Bitcoin in actually enabling this and kind of the uh, what we should be keeping an eye out for. I, I really want to kind of dig into this because there's something about debts and fractional reserve in the dollar economy that they are fungible. They, they are indistinguishable from the actual currency. If you're holding a debt or a liability, you do not know whether it's actual money or a debt or a liability that is backing the dollar that you are using. In Bitcoin, that dynamic doesn't exist. You must be holding a Mt. Gox point or a Binance point or whatever it is, even if it's a payment network or something. And that's why I think proof of reserves is a very critical part of this economy and why it's the distinguishing factor between whether or not we're using a token that is backed by Bitcoin or whether or not we're using Bitcoin itself. And Lightning plays another really important role in this. So uh, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor. And then I really want to kind of dig into this concept a little bit because I think this is really important. So we'll be back in just a minute. All right, so proof of reserves. Um, I've actually uh, 
I think I have hit something in the past about this. Um, I can't remember. I feel like it's a Nick Carter piece. Um, if I did, uh, that talked about it because I know Nick has talked about this and I actually had a, uh, ran into a tweet, um, uh, like the yesterday or something day before maybe, um, by Nick about proof of reserves. And there's a lot of trade-offs in this because proof of reserves is not a perfect weapon. Um, it doesn't really, uh, like the, there's still a limitation in whether or not the, um, like for instance, like, uh, just like, uh, Mauricio talks about in this article is that you can easily prove how much Bitcoin you have. You can easily sign for um, addresses and uh, a keys for a certain amount of Bitcoin and prove that, yeah, these are ours. Um, and uh, that's great, but it doesn't allow us to audit um, exactly how many accounts there are on their internal database and how much Bitcoin is in each of those accounts. So if I'm holding Bitcoin, like let's say one Bitcoin on an exchange, and they sign a key that says they've got a thousand Bitcoin. Well, I know that, you know, they at least have enough to cover my account, but maybe there's somebody else who thinks they have 999 and a half Bitcoin in their account. And they check that there's a thousand, uh, a thousand Bitcoin that has been signed. And they're like, oh, well, good. They, they have, uh, uh all, all of it to cover uh, my account, but it, I'm surprised that these guys have literally no other customers. <laughs> so it's not the it's not an immediate answer to the problem um uh because there is still you know some other things involved as far as proving that any specific account has specific bitcoin that are backing that and i don't know of any i think there's one that's actually been around for a long <clears throat> excuse me a long time that uh i think it's coinfloor i i, I want to say See, I should know this better. Let me let me type this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's Coinfloor. Um, uh, but they actually publish audits like every month or something, and they've been doing this since uh, they've been around for I don't know 2012, 2013. God, they were ages ago. Um, in fact, at some point, I just kind of forgot about them and thought that they had like gone out of business or just gone the way of all the other ones that I stopped hearing about. But no, they're still around. They've been proving, uh, doing independent audits and publishing that they have enough um, uh, coins for you know every every one of their customers. Um, I'm surprised they don't get as much love because I don't think any other. They're only in the UK, maybe. Um, I I don't know. I can't I can't remember exactly how wide their um, uh, user base is able to go. There's so many ridiculous restrictions on which which border you can uh, operate in on all of these uh, companies and they change pretty regularly. Um, so if you're interested in one that actually does do proof of reserves and um, has held to it for years and years, CoinFloor is pretty much it, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know of any other off the top of my head that has actually gone the extra mile. Now what sucks about this is that, uh, not from CoinFloor's point of view, um, but that I've held kind of the same opinion that Mauricio holds in this article is that I, I, I was really hoping that this was going to be a market differentiator. I mean, I thought there was going to be enough push, that there was going to be enough market pressure for this after Mt. Gox back in 2013. Um, I mean, that's why, if I'm not mistaken, it was right around that time that CoinFloor started this. Um, and uh, I thought that it was going to be uh, 
you know, Mauricio explains that is it like we're getting complacent again. And uh, arguably, we never really got not complacent with this. And for uh, when hacks and thefts are so prevalent in this space, it really surprises me that that push isn't harder um, to actually get companies to, um, uh, to prove their reserves, to, and, you know, maybe fractional reserve isn't the issue. Maybe it's that, you know, whether or not they prove that they have reserves, that doesn't prove that they're not going to get hacked in a week. Um, so if the major problem is being hacked, is having the coin stolen or maybe even an exit scam by the, the owners of the company or um, some employee inside of it, well, proof of reserves doesn't really um, protect against that. Proof of reserves is just, uh, they'll know, they wouldn't be able to continue, you know, if they did it every month like CoinFloor, uh, CoinFloor would run out of um, basically runway. You know, at the end of the month, even if they were trying to keep it quiet, they got hacked for a week, you know, they, they just, <laughs> you know, they don't, okay, so one month they don't publish an audit, well, then you know something's wrong. Um, so... I guess it could at least work as an early warning signal or a uh, uh, a way to prevent the prolonging and um, from depositing coins onto a uh, an exchange or service that has been hacked or that has been doing fractional reserve. But I personally have really wished because Bitcoin is such a powerful tool in that way, and it and it can do this. Like again, like the the one problem you have is. Um, dealing with the auditability and transparency of the actual internal accounts is are they being obvious obvious are they being clear about uh, exactly how many um uh customers that they have and how many accounts they have and what those balances are because that's the one that is questionable that's the one where you need an independent audit but you don't need an independent anything for them to sign their bitcoin keys and prove how much they have in reserve and that is, that's unheard of. Like, we, we've never had such an amazing tool. Why aren't we utilizing it? Now, my hope is that this is mostly like a uh, kind of a maturation of the industry sort of problem. Um, is that we kind of still have to just sort out the, the kinks in this and uh, make it a market precedent. You know, like... Uh, Let's say when the top exchange, when, when the number one exchange, the most popular and the most uh, well-respected um, has essentially uh, gotten there through whether it's that the other ones got hacked. I mean, so many, so many different exchanges and uh, platforms got hacked this past year. There's another article in Bitcoin Magazine, actually, that I'd point you to. Uh, in fact, let me go ahead and put that down in my notes to uh, save that. Um, there's one about the fact that the greatest number of hacks uh, happened this past year. It happened in 2019. Um, I don't think it was the greatest amount of Bitcoin. Um, I think it's just the greatest number of different services and companies were attacked. I forget exactly the details, but uh, I'll let you, uh, let you guys go and read that one. It's, it's another short one, but it's a good one to just stay up to date on this stuff. But let's say um, that the top exchange has basically been the one that survived all the noise and uh, keeps getting a bump as other exchanges get hacked. And uh, this one now has a monthly, full monthly audit and proof of reserves always published. Uh, you can easily go check it and you can check it on the blockchain, blah, blah, blah. Well, 
then uh, if they've got the highest reputation and they are the standard to compete with, well, then whoever is the second exchange, the third exchange, and the fourth exchange, basically, if they want to be the top dog, they're going to need to provide that service. So I would hope, even though it doesn't, it's not, it's not a perfect solution, I would hope that there would at least be pressure to enforce that um, uh, naturally. Uh, but again, if the top concern is being hacked, proof of reserves doesn't prevent that from being from happening. It's your security setup, um, and uh, even if you're ninety percent fractional reserve, you might be more secure as far as ongoing um, operation than somebody who's got hundred percent proof of reserves uh, and tells everybody about it, but has a lax security or not a very good key setup. Um, their their hot, warm, and cold wallet setup is a little bit funky or something like that. But why I think this is so important, um, not just in making sure that nobody's running fractional reserves or you know, making sure that the exchange that you deposit to is going to be around and going to be able to um, you know, enact your withdrawal, um, is that we're not going to be able to do all of our activity on the chain. Um, it's inherent to the broadcast network that we have to have a unicast system. We have to have some sort of layer two, layer three, layer four, et cetera, to extend this out to the whole world. And exactly how that is done could be the difference between uh, an economy that's trading fake Bitcoin tokens and an economy that knows 100% that every time we exchange money, it is actual Bitcoin. It will be the difference between whether or not we get the gold standard all over again that could be easily cheated and uh, or if we have the consistency of the Bitcoin sound monetary standard. Because I suspect we will be using payment networks that are quote unquote backed by Bitcoin that are Visa or some banking network or something and understand that we will be using a token within that system. So what I was alluding to before, uh, just before the commentary, is that when somebody creates debt in dollars, like the way the system works now, um, and this is a widely misunderstood um, concept of our current financial system, when debt is created by banks, unbacked by anything or backed with a fractional reserve, I mean, fractional reserve is built into our current system. It is inherent to it. When a bank issues a new loan, it is by default not backed by exactly the same amount of capital that they issue it. The like standard or whatever is like nine to one. Um, so they can loan out nine times uh, what they actually have in reserves. But it is fungible. It is fungible. It looks like every other dollar. So you have no idea. In fact, you are vastly more likely to have dollars that are simply created as unbacked loans than you are to have anything else. And it looks ever, like it's the same dollars in your account as anything that was backed by something. Like they're, they're completely identical. And in doing that, you can't have a real interest rate. You don't get a market interest rate because the debts are fungible, are indistinguishable from the actual monetary reserve. So when we're talking about using Bitcoin banknotes or Bitcoin Visa tokens, if we're using some other payment network or something like that, we will, it will be inherently known that we are using a non-Bitcoin token because it will be impossible to publish that information 
on the Bitcoin blockchain. So we need some sort of a tether. We need some sort of link that shows the proof of reserves. And that's why, that's why I think Lightning is such an important uh, layer two technology that, that that sort of setup, Lightning is proof of reserves for a payment network that allows you to exchange on a second layer that um, make hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, infinite, really, payments off chain, but you never have to question the proof of reserves. The proof of reserves are built into the signing of every single payment that goes on. It's, it's built in by default. It's a, a dedicated proof of reserves payment network. No transaction can happen anywhere without the proof of reserve uh, part of signing. So I'm very, very eager to see how this plays out with the adoption of Lightning and what it actually means to quote-unquote deposit money with an exchange. Because if I have a Lightning channel directly with an exchange, I don't necessarily have to deposit with them in order to make an incredibly fast transaction um, on their exchange. Obviously, it would be faster if it's deposited with the company. It's not necessary for me to do that. And that's a way to provide individual proof of reserves. In that instance, I'm not wrapped up in just some huge, like, okay, yeah, we have a thousand Bitcoins and here's the proof and you only have one Bitcoin locked up with us, so you're, you're good. I'm not worried about the thousand. I, I do my own proof of reserve for every single transaction that happens and it's explicitly proof of reserves for what I have control over like actual keys that I hold the keys for. And I don't think, I think that's a little bit discounted in how maybe that can play into, into the system and add a level of security. One of, the, um, one of my early articles actually about this was the uh, undiscussed or, or rarely discussed benefit, um, unbelievable benefit of the Lightning Network. And it was about the fact that if we move the system, if, if we migrate how we interact with exchanges to lightning channels, to, to creating channeled uh, proof of reserve, um, built-in key control um, relationships with these exchanges rather than a direct deposit to that exchange and give them all of the keys, which is the current relationship, well, then we've basically stopped the enormous risks of hacks for customers we've basically stopped the risk of fractional reserve with that exchange. It comes with a slightly increased complexity, uh, uh, maybe some minor trade-offs, but I think those trade-offs can be solved. I think uh, the limitations of that can be worked around with the continued development and extension of the protocol because we can do so much with Lightning and we can extend its capabilities so much faster, uh, at a much faster rate we can innovate than we can at the base layer with Bitcoin. And also faster than uh, just the normal industry and the normal exchanges would iterate. Um, so by them adopting Lightning, we essentially start, uh, start to solve three or four problems at once because Lightning is already solving these problems and now we can like migrate it and, and see where it changes the dynamic of a previous problem that we couldn't find an easy solution for or that never seemed to have the market pressures to correct. Um, it's one of those things that, that's why I think Lightning is so powerful and I can't believe that people discount it um, still, uh, that 
We can get added privacy. We can get proof of reserves. We can get scaling. It's just such a powerful technology. And we're still in the first iterations of something like this. Uh, and, you know, maybe it will be some sort of just a, an infrastructure um, a tool, one that will mostly be between exchanges, between um, uh, services and businesses, and still at the end user, you'll have mostly custodial or shared relationships or like kind of aggregate relationships um, that um, have a much smaller footprint on the blockchain and come with trade-offs of not being able to withdraw entirely on your own. They, you know, withdrawals once a day sort of thing uh, in, a, in a large aggregate transaction with many inputs and outputs, that sort of thing. I have no idea how it would actually unfold and what it might look like, but I, I, think, I think it's going to play a very, very important role. And regardless, it's clearly an incredibly important problem to solve because we don't want to end up in the same problem that we ended up with gold, where, look, we have this great sound money, but all of our payment systems, all of our uh, bank notes or whatever are just, we just trust that it's backed by gold rather than prove it. And proof of reserves is that, is that key. It's that, it's that one little bridge, however we can do it, whether it be lightning, whether it be audits by exchanges and transparency. That is the key difference that decides whether or not we're using an internal ledger that actually is backed by Bitcoin or we're using a token or some sort of a payment system that has proof of Bitcoin behind it or if we start inflating essentially the money and we start assuming that just because somebody says it's backed by Bitcoin that we trust the token, we trust the dollar instead of checking that there's actually gold there. Um, Okay, I guess, uh, I guess that's probably all I need to say. Um, there is a Nick Carter, the, the tweets I was talking about from the other day um, uh, by Nick Carter, I thought applied really well. So um, I'll just go ahead and read it. It's like four tweets. Um, Proof of reserves is happening whether exchanges like it or not. And if they resist giving their depositors transparency, it will eventually be forced on them by the regulators after the upteenth hack and insolvency. It's the obvious play. How many more F-Coins, Quadrigas, Bitfinexes, Goxes, CoinChecks, GateHubs, CoinBeans, I don't even know that one, Cryptopias, uh, Bitgra BitGrails, uh, Crypsis, MintPals, before the industry comes to its senses? Proof of reserves doesn't prevent hacks, but it is good housekeeping. It forces exchanges to follow decent accounting practices. It prevents depositors sending money to exchanges once they were already insolvent. And it makes shady exchanges much, that much more obvious because they refuse to perform the proof of reserves. I'm happy to be a punching bag for all the reasons proof of reserve doesn't quite work today. Um, I'm never going to give up promoting the importance of actually leveraging the assurances of cryptographic assets in a custodial context. So that's it. But I think that really hits, really hits it all in a nutshell. Is It's not a perfect, it's not a magic wand. You know, it doesn't solve all the problems, but it's such a leap in the correct direction and it prevents so many systemic problems going forward is uh, just the, the, the end line of this is I'm never going to give up promoting the importance of actually leveraging the assurances of cryptographic assets in a custodial context. We have one of the most amazing tools uh, from a financial standpoint to prevent exactly those sorts of things like 2007, 2008 collapse and 
the, the decades-long imbalance that built up to that and the decades-long imbalance that we're doing again in the financial system. We do not want to leave ourselves open to the exact same problems when we have the tool to fix it. All we have to do is use it, and we have to force other people to use it. So um, not, not force in the sense of uh, uh, government. You know, Maybe it will be regulators that uh, force crypto exchanges, but force in the sense that don't trust anyone that isn't allowing that sort of thing to happen, that isn't allowing you to use the tools. It's us that, has to, that have to be intolerant to those that just tell you, yeah, your keys are there. Yeah, you've got Bitcoin. Don't worry about it. Prove it to me. Don't trust, verify. So that's it. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, close this one out for today. A thank you to Mauricio um, for this article because um, I've, I've been kind of wanting to bring this up again and I thought this was a really good short piece that just really kind of got at the heart of it and started a discussion. And uh, I think this will be really important going forward. So we'll, we'll be at it again as new developments come out uh, on this one. I'm sure Bitcoin Magazine will stay on top of it. A huge thank you to Bitcoin Magazine. As always, just, just the best resource in this space. I, I literally read everything that they do and I just don't have the time. They publish like five things a day. So I'm sorry if uh, you've got a great article on Bitcoin Magazine that you want to hear and I haven't gotten to read it. Um, feel free, uh, feel, feel free to um, uh, DM me, uh, send me a message, uh, shoot me an email. Whatever you need to do to suggest one, if you've got one that you want me to read, shoot it my way. I love suggestions, and uh, maybe it's something I missed. I always miss stuff. I can't read it all. Um, so uh, thank you to the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network for uh, syndicating the show um, and these episodes. I've gotten exposure to an awesome audience, and uh, it seems like a lot of people are really enjoying it and getting value out of this show. So thank you, thank you to all of those guys. Um, and don't forget to subscribe. We've got uh, four-ish, sometimes five a week of these, and I try to get them out as fast as I can. This turned into a two-day episode. I actually recorded the main read yesterday. Um, I've been uh, stuck in a bunch of audiobook stuff that I'm finally finishing, so uh, keep an ear out for those things. We've got um, Inventing Bitcoin Audiobook on the way. It's, it's coming out soon, so fingers crossed on that one. Um, and I'm almost finished with 21 Lessons, the re-edit and uh, re-recording. So follow me on Twitter at The Crypto Economy so you don't miss when those drop. Um, and uh, let's see, anything else to mention? Oh, 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 if you haven't gotten your Bitcoin 2020 tickets, you got to do that. Um, you are not going to want to miss it this year. Uh, it is going to be absolute fire. I'm going to have Christian on the show, and we're literally just going to shoot the shit and talk about everything that's going on with Bitcoin 2020. Uh, so we got an interview coming soon. Um, do not miss that. It's, this is going to be absolute fire. I'm so, so excited about this, and I can't wait to just, uh, just pick his brain for every, every piece of information that he can uh, share about it. Um, so uh, subscribe to the show just so you don't miss that episode. And of course, get your Bitcoin 2020 tickets if you haven't yet. It is literally right around the corner. March will be here way sooner than you think. Uh, February is basically gone. It's, it was like it started yesterday and it's going to end basically tomorrow. So, so, so get your tickets and uh, I will see you guys there. Hit me up. We'll hang out. Go get a beer um, and talk about Bitcoin. What? I know. Crazy, right? Um, all right. Uh, I'm out. Uh, I got some more recording to do. I'm going to be getting a head start on tomorrow's episode. 
I might do a du dual episode today, so uh, keep an eye out on the feed. I uh, should have another one soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love you all. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know, and I will catch you on the next one. Till then, take it easy, guys.